Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Switch to Kogan Mobile for $2.90 for 30 days with 20 gig of data. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Hello and welcome to Dwayne's World. Great to have your company wherever you might be listening around the planet. Dwayne's World for Kogan Mobile. Make the call. Switch to Kogan Mobile and for Brick Lane Brewing for lovers and makers of great beer. Heaps to get to on the program today. John Aloisi is going to join us. Kevin Shifter-Sheen is going to join us. Bryce McGain from GMHBA Stadium ahead of the T20 cricket. So heaps on the agenda today. But Midday Madness, as always, straight off the top. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Anything in the world you'd like to discuss, then jump on the line now. one three hundred seven three six seven three six On that open line brought to us by Werribee Kia. Kia awarded the prestigious National Kia Car Dealer of the Year Award. Werribee Kia, where else? Uh, it was interesting listening to Jared Whateley's program, hearing er- Ernie Merrick tip a bit of a bucket on St Kilda as well and the sacking of Brett Ratton. So we'll revisit that and take some more of your calls. Uh, Jared had heaps on his agenda and maybe there's a few callers out there that realise they wouldn't get on with Jared, but you can get on with me if you'd like to have a chat about the St Kilda scenario and the picture that Ernie Merrick painted. I'll play a little bit of that uh, a little bit later on in the program if you didn't hear it earlier. Um, the fixtures out as well, probably late next week, if not uh, the Monday, the week after, maybe just before Melbourne Cup. If you've got a thought about the... There's been talk about the Magic Round being in South Australia. They've only got one oval for nine games across four days. I'm a little worried about whether South Australia could host it with one oval, just with the Adelaide Oval. Do they need a second venue? Is that why Sydney or Brisbane are more likely to be able to host the Magic Round? Fixtures interesting. Good Friday... That game seems like it's up for grabs as well. North Melbourne want it again. Uh, there has been a report in the last 24 hours um, that maybe North Melbourne rather have Essendon as its opponent. They've played the Bulldogs the last couple of times. They've been smashed by the Bulldogs the last couple of times. They've met on Good Friday. And they would like a bigger crowd. And maybe, well, it's been mentioned a few times, uh, Essendon, they did get a bigger crowd. And Ben Amafio told the age... Um, that it's about uh, also maybe getting a bigger crowd. So it's up to the AFL how they'd like to go with it. So it's an interesting call from the AFL. Do you give North Melbourne a bigger drawing club like an Essendon on Good Friday than the Western Bulldogs? I reckon there'd be a few Western Bulldogs fans that would feel a little miffed about it if they get dumped from Good Friday. Your thoughts on that? Uh, the season opener this year was the Wednesday night grand final rematch. So Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs this year so what happens with the grand final rematch on the Wednesday next year? What does the AFL do with the opening fixture? Geelong, if they play a grand final rematch, will play Sydney. But Geelong, you wouldn't think, would open the season with a home game 
and are still being renovated and not quite finished GMHBA Stadium with a reduced capacity. So what do they do with that? I doubt Geelong would want to host Sydney at the MCG as the season opener, but does the AFL make them? Or do you give that home game to the Sydney Swans and say you can host Geelong and we open the season at the SCG on the opening Wednesday night with the grand final rematch between Sydney and Geelong at the SCG? That could be an option. Um, Richmond Carlton still night two on the Thursday night, we presume, in the fixture. The Saints open their season as well, hosting the first Friday night game against Collingwood. I kind of hope that fixture stays, especially given that we're likely to get Ross Lyon announced as the Saints' new coach. There'd be a lot of interest in that first Friday night game being St Kilda and Collingwood again. I think that fits. And Anzac Day is a Tuesday next year, so we're going to have the Melbourne-Richmond-Anzac Eve game on the Monday night, which is going to stretch that weekend of footy right through. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday night, Melbourne-Richmond, and the Anzac Day game, obviously, on the Tuesday. If they go with two Anzac Day games, which they have in the past, one in Melbourne and one elsewhere, then it is going to be a completely spread day of footy. So your thoughts on the fixture as well that's going to be out next week, especially if you're a Western Bulldog fan, would you be upset if you got dumped from Good Friday? And should North Melbourne be hosting Essendon instead on Good Friday to get a bigger crowd? Or should North Melbourne even be hosting it at all? Your thoughts on all of that with the fixture, a little bit of a topic of conversation as well, given that the AFL clubs, I think, are going to get the first draft of the fixture, if not today, maybe in the next couple of days. So that open line, one three hundred seven three six seven three six, And you can send through a text as well on the 40 Winks temper text, T-E-M-P-U-R, mattresses and pillows like no other. Uh, 0433981116. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep. Kevin Shifter-Sheehan is also going to be on uh, in the lead-up to the draft. Still a few weeks away, but he's going to talk key forwards in the draft. The key forward is an interesting one for fans, given that we love a good key forward. It's great when Charlie Curnow and Jeremy Cameron and Lance Franklin and Tom Lynch are taking... Marks inside 50 and kicking goals inside 50. But the contested mark has become a, a dying thing. The contested mark inside 50 has seen a little bit of a death in recent years to the point that the key forwards currency hasn't been quite as big. But I reckon it's growing back again. And whether the AFL, I know we don't like rule changes, but people want the key forward to be back. People lament the fact that we don't have anyone threaten 100 goals in a season anymore. It has become way too easy for defenders in team defences to stop the big gun key forwards. Maybe the AFL should actually pay more chopping of the arm freeze and more freeze against defenders not going for the ball, going for body spoils and body checks as the key forwards run at the ball. So we'll talk some key forward stuff with Kevin Sheehan later on and take a few of your calls on that. So plenty on the agenda. And as I mentioned, John Aloisi is going to talk uh, some soccer and Looking forward to having a chat to Bryce McGain from GMHBA Stadium as we wind our way towards a couple of huge games on the weekend with Australia hosting New Zealand at the SCG and then the India-Pakistan game at the MCG. Uh, Freddie and Elwood, you've got a query on the fixture. Welcome to you, Freddie, as we head to your curls. Yeah, I like your idea of um, Sydney Geelong at the SCG if, um, obviously, GMHBA or um, if India's not available. But more around, I'm a Dogs fan, so more around if the Dogs lost the Good Friday game, it would, would feel a bit disheartening because in a way it feels like 
they're losing it for playing too well and performing too well. Um, but also, feel a bit hard done by if they went to Exeton. They already have Anzac Day, but to be honest, they don't really deserve it after the, the way they've handled themselves this year. And um, a bit guilty on them, you know, sacking Ben Rutten whilst we were playing Hawthorne in um, round 23 with a final spot on the line. Thought it was a bit, um, bit of a cheap shot and disrespectful to the clubs that were playing. So do you think you have the right to, to hold on to Good Friday? Is it there a chance that the Bulldogs could say, hang on, hang on, uh, we've actually helped this game become what it is. Don't go dumping us. Uh, and we're actually providing a pretty reasonable number of crowd to that game ourselves? Um, I don't think we've got the right to anything. And North have certainly done the bulk of the work and started the game. Um, but I feel we, you know, we have done a lot over the years and the club certainly in the place supported. And I always get there every year with the family. Um, so, yeah, I think... And, the, and I think a lot of Bulldogs fans do. So it'd be nice, nice to see the people, but, yeah, I don't think we have a right to anything. Hold the line, Freddie. We've got something for you for being our first caller. You've got a Brick Lane Brewing voucher coming your way. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together, join their community today. Aaron in Broadmeadows was on the line way early, so I better get to you, Aaron. You're on hold for a while. You want to talk Hawthorne's delistings before we head back to the fixture stuff? Welcome to you. Yeah, good afternoon. Yeah, to me, Hawthorne's delistings are a direct consequence of the AFL win the draft, incentivising teams to bottom out. The system sort of punishes sides that are competitive and mid-table. Essendon's a good example. For 20 years, they've pretty much finished halfway every year. They never get any high picks. Hawthorne, to me, have clearly made a decision that we are better off to bottom out now, um, have three, four, five bad years, and then we're going to be loaded with high draft picks. Um, Because I've got no doubt if there was no draft, those three, um, Amira, Mitchell, and Gunston, would all be there next year, and Hawthorne would be very competitive again. Their percentage this year was 89 now, because of these delistings, they're going to become uncompetitive. Um, to, they remind me of North Melbourne. North Melbourne did the same thing. They, they sacked five of their best players. Um, Melbourne, about 15 years ago, went down the same route of you know being obsessed with youth. Anyone who was over 30, they would get rid of. And it meant that for about 12 years, they became completely and utterly uncompetitive. Um, to me, if we didn't have the draft, this wouldn't happen. So this is a, if you incentivize teams for bottoming out, they're going to do what Hawthorne's doing now and say, uh, to quote um, Sam Mitchell, he doesn't want to sneak into the eight. He doesn't want his team to be competitive and sneak into the eight. He instead wants to be uncompetitive for a little bit, get some draft picks, and then win a flag. It's completely the wrong attitude for the competition. It might work for Hawthorne, but for the competition, it's a very bad um, mentality for clubs to be having. So they, the they don't want to be competitive. The only alternative, Aaron, is if we have, like they have in the US, to stop this kind of thing where you have a lottery where... Uh, you might have, uh, you know, all the teams that miss the eight go into a lottery for the number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven pick, etc. And you, if you know, to cuddle, um, to, to simplify it, if you finish 16th, uh, you know, you get you get eight uh, picks in the lottery, something like that. You finish 17th, you get um, six picks in the lottery. You you finish 15th, you get four. All that down to, you know, if you finish uh, 10th, you get one pick in the lottery. So. Is a lottery system a better way of doing it so you don't get guaranteed the number one pick in the draft if you finish last? I think you'd be better off to do what the NRL do and have no draft at all and just have a salary cap. If every side's got the same amount of money to spend on players, there shouldn't be massive, massive gaps. I mean, the other thing I think would be a good idea, if you gave the first pick to ninth, 
that would mean that sides like Hawthorne would not want to bottom out. They'd be wanting to top up and, and compete and, and get closer to the eight. And then if they finish ninth, they get the top pick. At the moment where if you're competitive, you're being penalised. And if you're uncompetitive, you get rewarded. It's, it's, a, it's a horrendously bad system. So Carl, you reckon it would be a better system if Carlton got the number one pick in this coming draft for finishing ninth? Well, it would because the sides below them would have, wouldn't have been bottoming out. Yeah. Um, sides like North Melbourne wouldn't have sacked six players. North Melbourne, um, six years ago, sacked their best five players. They wouldn't yeah. have done that. They would have been desperate to improve and compete and compete. And then you would have, you just wouldn't have teams bottoming out. Um, the Gold Coast and the Suns, when they, they joined, the, so the, yeah, the Gold Coast and the Giants, they wouldn't have been playing sides with 17 guys under 20. They would have had older, more competitive players. And they would have finished sort of halfway. Like, like the, Bears, the Bears' first three years, six, seven, eight wins, which is more than what the Suns and the Giants won simply because there was no incentive to finish last. They, yeah, they, they were thinking saying. about, we need to be competitive in year one, not year yeah. five. Not yeah, I'm, hearing, in year five. I'm, hear, I'm hearing everything you're saying, Aaron. That, that's the system we've got at the moment. And unfortunately, it does in some ways reward the teams that uh, end up down the bottom of the ladder for multiple years. But most of the teams that end up down the bottom of the ladder don't try to end up down the bottom of the ladder, which is one thing that I do admire about our sport. I think uh, most of the time, all the teams that are down the bottom of the ladder are trying their hardest for every game to try and win that game with their best 22 in the team, as opposed to you know putting guys out for spells, uh, resting guys, putting them in wrong positions, etc. I don't think Hawthorne will stay down the bottom for that long. So I'm not that pessimistic about Hawthorne being, you know, bottom two for the next three years and getting draft picks. But um, I would hate that to be Hawthorne's plan because I do not like that idea of a plan either, Andrew. And if that ends up being the plan of too many teams, the AFL will have to bring in a lottery system like we've got in the US. Appreciate your call. Um, Angelo and Glenn Waverley, welcome to you, Angelo. Uh, thank you. Um, I just got a, a question uh Kevin Sheedy was once quoted as saying, as, as saying that um, he said, let's face it, in order to win a premiership, you need a lot of luck. And, um, unquote. Um, when, you, when you think about the last 20 years, who do you think is one of the luckiest sides in, in, the, in the AFL? Um, because when, when, you, when you build an um, Australian, Australian football league, based on the state league, there are going to be sides that are going to um, benefit more so from that than, than other sides. For example, um, when you look at Geelong, um, and you've got Dangerfield and Cameron who want to come home to Victoria and they originate from that area and the Torquay area, they're, 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 um, they're probably going to go back to Geelong as opposed to the other clubs based in Melbourne. It, but if it was one city, um, the other sides would have a, a shot at being able to prize them to, your, uh, to their club. So who do you think um, has, has had the most luck in terms of rules and things like that the last 20 years? Um, well, I don't think... You can call it luck if you like, but the situation with the Geelong kind of getting a couple of players recently. Um, you know, Jack Bowes is, I think he was a, a academy guy as well. So, I mean, you, you're losing academy guys 
That's the hard part. When you've got the Northern States, you don't want to be losing your academy guys. Um, Jacob Hopper was an academy uh, player, so he's leaving as well. So, yeah, I'm not sure at all. I, don't, I wouldn't be putting it down to too much luck. Father-son is luck, obviously. So Geelong has been well dealt when it comes to the hand they've got with father-sons. So, yeah, okay, that's luck. But in terms of creating an environment that players want to go to and having a, 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 an environment where your players are playing for less money so you've got more in your salary cap to go and get Jack Bowes from a club who couldn't manage their salary cap well enough, that's not luck. That's good management. So I'll go with you on luck for the father-sons, uh, Tom Hawkins, etc., Matty Scarlett, Gary Ablett Jr. They've had a lot of luck with that. But I'm not going on the luck when it comes to the great management of a football club who can manage their salary cap to the point that players have the opportunity to go there. And you've got a team like the Gold Coast that need the salary cap dump. Dave in Waterways, welcome to you, Dave. How are you? Special shout-out to Lockie, Leeser and Brazza and um, Azza up on the roof today listening to your great show. Cheerio, you, you boys. Thank you. I just, wanted, I just wanted to bring up something about salary cap. Let's take on the world and scrap the salary cap and start paying people what they deserve and make this game even better than what it is. What are your thoughts? Well, it would allow the rich to just keep getting richer, though, and get all the good players because they'd be able to pay whatever they like because they've got the big sponsors, etc. Um, they'd be able to get as much money from their revenue streams as possible to get the list that's going to continue to outweigh the Minnow Clubs forever. Yeah, I still, I still think that we should be, um, you know, the rich get richer, good on them. Yeah, I'm not quite with you on that, Dave. I like the idea of a salary cap, but I also like the opportunity to have those rich clubs um, that are well-managed to be able to, you know, have great facilities, get the best doctors, uh, get the best physios, all that kind of stuff, to plough that into what is a great environment to play your footy. So all of a sudden players, you know, go to your club and say, wow, this is the place I want to be at because everything's state-of-the-art and you can have everything state-of-the-art with the best medical staff, etc., because you can afford it. Now, there's caps on uh, not only the player roster, but there's a cap on your football department staff as well, the soft cap, which means you can't just go and collect all the best doctors and physios from elsewhere, pay them whatever you like and make sure that you've got, you know, the seven of the best eight medicos in Australia working for you as opposed to every other club who misses out because they can't afford it. But I appreciate your call, Dave. Um, we'll agree to disagree on the idea of no salary cap. Dave in Melton, welcome to you, Dave. G'day, mate. How you going? We're talking about this Good Friday game. If we're fair income and want to raise money for kids, we've got three clubs, Carlton, Collingwood and Richmond. That's it. They have 300,000 members between them and they'll fill the MCG and TV ratings will go through the roof. Yet, you go with North Melbourne and Bulldogs. They can't fill a jam team. There's your problem. So... Give it to somebody else, the marquee game, make more money for the kids uh, and do it that way as opposed to looking after North Melbourne with a blockbuster marquee slot because they don't get any others. Exactly. Can you imagine a Collingwood-Richmond game or a Collingwood-Carlton game? It'll go, TV ratings will go through the roof. The kids will make heaps of money and most of Victoria will sit down and watch it. 
with the Bulldogs and North going, nobody watches them, mate. It's just hard to argue with your point, Dave, even though I do want to stick up for North Melbourne and the Dogs. I appreciate your call. Um, hold the line. We've got a $100 Garmy chicken voucher coming your way. Need to take a break. Back to your calls next. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. The open line. Anything you'd like to discuss in the world of sport. Heaps to get to later. But the fixture, we're thinking it's a week and a half to two weeks away. There has been a few murmurs that it might be further than that away because of the magic round. They have to decide where the magic round has got to happen because it'll be uh, 23 games spread across 24 rounds the way we understand it. But it might actually be pushed out to even 25. So they're working their way through that with the magic round being the new addition where all teams are going to be in one state for a nine-game bonanza. Back to your calls and your texts straight after this on Dwayne's Well. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Switch to Kogan Mobile for $2.90 for 30 days with 20 gig of data. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Right back to your calls and your texts. A couple of texts that have come through. Good Friday needs a marquee game. Otherwise, it's an epic flop again. North don't deserve that slot. Big Brian from Bali. Thanks for that. Um, give it a rest, Dwayne. North are the club that fought for this Good Friday fixture for years. They deserve it. End of story. But who do you play then? Uh, because it sounds as if you'd rather play Essendon than the Dogs, and you'd like to dump the Dogs even though you don't want to be dumped from it yourself. Uh, Essendon, they have Anzac Day, uh, Dreamtime, uh, the Farmers game. <laughs> what about the Blues? Carlton and North Melbourne are closer to the Children's Hospital. Rick in Brisbane, so maybe Carlton. Uh, another one here, the Blues don't have a blockbuster. Should be the Blues v. the Dogs. Um, Dwayne, uh, will be interesting when Geelong unfurl the premiership flag as the Cats won't play in Geelong till stage five stand is complete. Darren in Geelong. And that's the issue with, if we're going with a grand final rematch as the opening game of next season when the fixture comes out, where does Geelong and Sydney play? It's either a reduced capacity GMHBA stadium, which probably wouldn't be the way to open the season with the unfurling of the flag there. Uh, it's either at the MCG, so it's not really a Geelong home game as such, even though Sydney do have to travel for it, or you play it at the SCG and Geelong unfurls its flag the week after. Uh, I think the SCG might be the better option. It'll be a full house for Sydney v Geelong and to have the SCG rocking for round one to open the season I reckon would be a good way to start it. Uh, Dwayne, simple uh, fix, make the Western Bulldogs versus the Bombers. That's from Scott, who doesn't want the Western Bulldogs dumped. Uh, North for Good Friday, the Thursday night um, may have been better in hindsight to get people before they go away for the long weekend. Um, thanks for that. Good Friday definitely needs to stay with North and the Dogs. Essendon already have multiple premium games. Great atmosphere every year when it's the North v Dogs game too. So it was a pretty good atmosphere last year, I've got to say. Although the call of it was making his point about the fact that if you did have Collingwood-Richmond on Good Friday, yeah, it would have a bigger audience nationally and yes it would have a bigger attendance that's a pretty plain fact so couldn't shout him down for making a point that was a plain fact uh matt in notting hill you want to talk salary cap as well welcome to you matt yeah g'day Dwayne. uh just i'm a carlton man so the salary cap discussion is something that's uh probably not in our favor um but you want to have a salary cap you want to have a fair competition as far as blockbuster games, every time we play Collingwood or Richmond, they're pretty much blockbuster compared to a lot of clubs. 
So not really worried about that. What are your thoughts on these people that want to get rid of it that don't seem to remember what it used to be like when we were the guys winning it all the time or Collingwood were always there at Richmond yeah. or Hawthorne? No, you have to have a salary cap. So I'm, I'm with you on that. That's the bottom line for me. I, I'm, I know that I'm happy for people to put up the argument, and that's what this program's about. If you've got a thought as to something that you think would be a good idea, then Midday Madness, you can get on and make your point. But I think we need a salary cap, even though that previous caller was of the belief that it wouldn't work. I'd be happy if one marquee player per team only had half his wage included in the salary cap. I think we could go that way as well. And then that would allow the Clayton Oliver, Patrick Cripps, or, you know, you'd have to pick one. Is it Cripps or is it Kerno? Okay, he's our marquee guy, and we can pay him whatever we like, and only half falls in the salary cap. You can only have one marquee player per team, and if that means you squeeze out Sam Walsh, because some other teams wanted to pay him $2 million as their marquee player, well, so be it. Instead of getting, you know, 700000 a year at Carlton, he becomes a marquee player at Fremantle or Gold Coast, and they pay him the $2 mil. I don't mind the one marquee player per team idea. I think it might be an opportunity to get the, the big gun talent spread around, but uh, I'm certainly in favour of keeping the salary cap, absolutely. Um, Michael and Epping, you got a thought of the Good Friday game. Welcome to you, Michael. Great to have you on. G'day, Dwayne. Thanks. Um, hello, you there? Yeah, you're on, Michael. Yeah, oh, oh cool. Uh, my idea is why not have the Good Friday game as a bit of a tournament for the Marble Stadium tenants? So this year's North Melbourne and whoever, and then next, and the winner of that would play Essendon, and the winner of that would play... The next, just the marble tenants. That way, there's something on the line. They're playing for something. Winner stays on, Michael, for next year. Winner hosts next year. Yeah, and just rotate it through the, the, the marble stadium tenants. So they, all the tenants there get a turn. Winner stays on. That's not crazy, Michael. Um, got a bit to it, I reckon. Uh, I, I think I actually like it. Hold the line. Haven't thought about it, but you've put it in my mind. Hold the line. We've got something for you. Uh, you've got uh, World Supercross Double Pass. Speaking of Marble Stadium, witness Supercross history at the WSX Australian Grand Prix, October 21-22 at Marble Stadium. Hold the line. Heap of callers still on the line. Allen Airport West, Andrew Nidri, John and Croydon will come to you all. It's Midday Matters, but it's news time. Boys, great to have you company for... Midday Madness, wrap up your calls and your texts. A couple of texts coming through liking that previous caller's idea of a good Friday tournament. Winner stays on idea. This is great. Would never have thought of it. That caller is a genius. So you'd have, what, Essendon, Carlton, Western Bulldogs and North Melbourne in the rotation. Uh, you would have North Melbourne hosting it this year against the Dogs. Winner stays on. And if it's North Melbourne, then they get to choose whether it's Essendon or Carlton next year. And if it's the dogs that win, they get to choose whether it's Essendon or Carlton the next year. Um, there, there probably is a bit of merit in it. The more you think about it, it's the more you think it's not too bad. Al in Airport West, welcome to you, Al. G'day, Dwayne. Hope you're well on this glorious spring day. Yes. Uh, sal- salary cap talk. So um, the first caller has actually you know, got me thinking about it. And um, how about they incorporate a bit of a with the equalisation if you're, say for instance, North Melbourne you've finished in the, in the bottom four for two years in a row, or maybe three years in a row 
that that team is enabled. They get a bit of a uh, buffer in their salary cap. They can spend an extra two million over the next two years, and and that way we're going to try and you know help uh, those teams maybe get like you said a marquee player or another player from another from another club. Gives a club a bit of incentive. Gives them something to to sell their membership packs with. You know. Um, just trying to lure some quality talent and established talent because, let's face it, uh, the teams that finish on the bottom of the year haven't always had the greatest success in being able to pick up drafted players, you know, through the through the national draft. So thinking maybe uh, giving them a, a little bit of extra money to spend and look, you look at North Melbourne, they don't have uh, any debt at the moment, so that'd be in a great situation to be able to spend some extra money on players. Yeah, the trouble with loading up more advantages for the team that finished last is that you're giving them more incentive to drop out and deliberately finish finishing last. We had a caller earlier on talking about, well, we shouldn't be loading up and deliberately giving the team that finishes last the first pick in the draft. We should have something more like a lottery system where we could have the team that finishes third last getting the number one pick, which is what they do in the U.S. sport. So how, how much, how many different benefits do you give the team finishing last, Al, before you start having teams thinking, oh, we are a lot better finishing last here than finishing fourth last? Why, why would we even try? Yeah, I get that, Dwayne, but this time they're actually having to spend extra money, and it's their money. So it's not they get an extra pick. This is actually allowing them to spend their own money, which is not gifted to them, allowing them to spend their money on better players, established players that are in that system already. I get the whole rewarding of being uh, mediocre or being poor for a few years and you instantly get that someone pick. But this is, is... you know, you, the club still needs to be run well. You still need to have great recruiting. You still need to have good list, manage, list management. You know, yeah. so just being able to get that extra player into your list, it's not, I don't think it's a gift. It's more of a, you know, okay, you've got a two-year window. window. You can spend X amount, whether it be $1 million or $2 million extra in your salary cap. Appreciate your call, Al. Uh, yeah, I don't like loading up too much of an advantage for finishing last myself. Uh, I'm actually more of the thought that maybe we should have had a lottery and make it less of an incentive to finish last. But uh, appreciate your call. Need to take a break. Back to your calls shortly. Uh, one here on the text. Of course, St Kilda is a Marvel tenant. So they are in that rotation. So the Saints, Essendon, Carlton, Western Bulldogs and North Melbourne are all in that rotation. Yes, the Saints are a tenant. And the reason why we're talking about the fixture is we understand it's, it may be... 10 or so days away. One on the text, when does the fixture normally come out? There's been times when it's come out Melbourne Cup week, sometimes even on the Monday before the Melbourne Cup, but Melbourne Cup week is quite often been when the fixtures come out. Other times it's been a bit later, and we have got this story, well, there's a couple of stories floating around about Good Friday. Um, One's on the Fox Sports website quoting Ben Amafio in that column saying, and his quote is, we have obviously played the dogs over the last couple of years, but I am also conscious our biggest crowd we ever had on Good Friday was against Essendon, over 40,000. It's up to the AFL which way they go. Um, there is this thought that maybe they'd be better off hosting Port Adelaide in that Good Friday game and make that the game where Jason Horn francis 
is playing against North Melbourne. Do, do you really want to build a blockbuster around Bill and one bloke? That's another question the AFL has to answer, not me. But if you put that blockbuster on that good Friday night, then you are essentially saying, we are billing this uh, as the good Friday game because Jahorn Francis is going to be playing away from home against his old team. And we think it's going to be great for everybody if he just gets given it to by the crowd for four quarters. We'll take a break. You with Dwayneswell. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Switch to Kogan Mobile for $2.90 for 30 days with 20 gig of data. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Straight back to your calls from Indo Madness. Uh, Shane, on the road, you got an idea, given our previous caller, or one of our previous callers came up with this Good Friday game, winner stays on idea. So North Melbourne and the Bulldogs next year, and then whoever wins gets to choose their next opponent, whether it be St Kilda, Essendon or Carlton. You've got a twist on it. Welcome to you, Shane. Hey, mate. Um, yeah, look, I think uh, I like what he... Uh, I like the, the, the crux of what he had to say, but I think the... the so it's North Melbourne this year. Let's, mm. um, let's say that the winner stays on every year of that match, but they play the Premier of the year before. But then if they play the Premier in Geelong, beat them, then Geelong get Good Friday. You don't want that, do you? Absolutely I do, because then if Geelong don't make the grand final this year, whoever yeah. makes the grand final and wins, play them next year. So you're always going to be guaranteed, well, not always, nothing's guaranteed, but yeah. you know, chances are you go and get a cracking match. Yeah, so North Melbourne might never get it back then if they don't want a flag to get it back. Well, it's, it's not North Melbourne's game. It's the AFL's game. That's game. true, although it is North Melbourne's game right now. It's North Melbourne's game until the AFL tell North Melbourne it's not their game. So to me, I'd still go with North Melbourne as having it their home game. They're trying their hardest to make it work. Uh, they just get smashed the last couple of years by the Dogs and they haven't been competitive. And I'm worried that obviously that's going to be the case again if they play the Dogs this coming Good Friday. But at least if we had a winner stays on idea where they played the Western Bulldogs and lost to the Dogs, and the Dogs got to keep that game and pick their next opponent from the Marvel tenant pool, then at least North Melbourne's had a chance to keep it. But uh, we can agree to disagree on that, Shane. I, uh, I appreciate you jumping online to give us your idea. Um, Brock, in Mornington. Welcome to you, Brock. Hey, Duano. Yeah, just on that marquee player idea you were talking about uh, 20 minutes ago, would that then just push the bottom teams further down? Um, you know, if, if, that, if everyone got the right to sign someone outside the cap, wouldn't your Carlton's and your Bulldogs and the teams that finished around eight just go and get the next best player that they need and um, and then push further up the ladder? And then the teams at the bottom, none of the big players are want to go, want to go there anyway. And it would just create more inequality in the competition. Well, if you could pay half, or if half the wage wasn't included in the salary cap, then the situation you might have is you might get more of Gary Ablett going to the Gold Coast situation. You might get a situation where, um, you know, you've got someone believes that Cam Guthrie would be a great marquee player for them and uh, Cam Guthrie ends up going to the Giants because they believe he could be a great... I mean, you, you might have a situation where because 
the big gun teams have so many guys. I mean, you might have a Gorn, Petrarca, Oliver, might may, might not all be able to stay at Melbourne because there are going to be other teams that if they want you as a marquee player, might be able to pay those guys more and get them out of Melbourne as opposed to having players take less money to stay at Melbourne and play. But it's just a thought, and it has been thrown up before, so it's not a new thought. appreciate your call. Um, Brock, uh, who are we on, on next? Fog on the road. Welcome to you, Fog. You've been holding for a while. Welcome to you, Fog. G'day, Pipe. I just got a thought on Geelong's um, opening round dilemma. Maybe they can stick them on a Wednesday night, nice 7 o'clock start at the MCG with Sydney. That'd be a good idea. But that's what I'm talking about. It is a... The opening game of the year will be a Wednesday night game. It was the grand final rematches, the Wednesday night game this year gone. So if we're going to go with the two grand finalists opening the season again, it would be Geelong, probably at the MCG, not GMHBA Stadium, because the capacity is reduced. So you'd be happy with that, the Wednesday night opener? Well, look, I'm a Melbourne man, and I didn't really like it last year because it's a Wednesday night at about 7.10. It's pretty awful time to get to the footy of been a bit facetious, but uh, yeah, yeah I, I think, you know, if you're going to be a grand final opener, you shouldn't be in the middle of the week, you know, it's a bit ridiculous. Yeah, I don't mind it, to be honest, but we'll agree to disagree on that, Fog. I'd like the idea of a Wednesday night season opener, and uh, there might be a few teams that do have patrons who want to go on a Wednesday night. Would they go to the SCG to see a grand final rematch? I reckon they would, and I reckon they might fill it and would Geelong get more than Melbourne as a home game season opener at the MCG, maybe. Uh, maybe not against Sydney, though, given that it was a home opener last year between the two grand finalists who were both Melbourne-based teams. Maybe that's why it worked, even though we could have had more in there, Melbourne and the Dogs. Great to have your call. Hold the line. You've got a $100 Garmy chicken voucher as well. Back with more calls after the break. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Switch to Kogan Mobile for $2.90 for 30 days with 20 gig of data. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Had hundreds of your texts come through for Midday Matters so far today, so uh, thank you. The text machine, obviously, for 40 winks and temper, T-E-M-P-U-R, is 0433981116. So let me read a heap out. Uh, currently in Rome, just checking in to see if Ross Lyon has signed with the Saints yet. Marlon from Rome. Uh, not yet, Marlon, but uh, give us a text back this time tomorrow. Um, not that I know anything, but uh, who knows? It might not be that far away. Dwayne, you keep saying that Geelong can't play the season opener at GMHBA because of crowd numbers. What do the Suns or the Giants win a flag? Surely they would get to play their home ground. Yeah, they would. Uh, the reason I said it is because Geelong's capacity is still reduced. Their grandstand won't be completed for round one next year, the way I understand it. So um, they might not want to play the season opener with a third of the ground still unable to host fans. Uh, Hydrain says a lot about North, that they see a promotional event in the bullying of a 19-year-old kid at James and Somerville. Well, they're not asking for Good Friday to be against Port Adelaide. That's not what North Melbourne are asking for, but it has been floated as to whether they would. Um, the AFL schedule the Port Adelaide-North Melbourne game for Good Friday, and I don't think the AFL would do it either. So no, North Melbourne haven't asked for that. Um, they certainly haven't, and I don't think they would dare do it either. Um, here's an idea, Dwayne. What about North lose Good Friday? It becomes the Dogs and the Blues blockbuster. Crowd is low because of North. 
bad performances. Uh, well, at the moment, North are doing their best to at least bring a crowd. So the crowd hasn't been too bad in recent years. The performance hasn't been great, but the crowd hasn't been too bad. Um, Dwayne, if you think Lyon is successful, St Kilda, Essendon, Giants, Ruse, maybe even Collingwood and Carlton will look back and think we could have picked him up straight away. Ash in St Kilda, well, there's a lot of water to go under the bridge before Ross Lyon gets the job and is successful. He hasn't even got the job yet. Back with your calls and your texts straight after the news. Kevin Sheen to join us, Bryce Begain to talk cricket and John Aloisi. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Switch to Kogan Mobile for $2.90 for 30 days with 20 gig of data. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Well, I'm taking your calls for Midday Madness. The open line number 1300 brought to us by Werribee Kia. Werribee Kia awarded the prestigious National Kia Car Dealer of the Year Award. Werribee Kia, where else? Kevin Schiff, the Sheehan, still to come. John Aloisi later in the program. Bryce McGain to talk T20 cricket as well. But Robin Tarnid has been holding for a while. Rob, welcome to you. Oh, hi, Dwayne. Um, just uh, two quick questions. Um, uh, do you know, you mentioned about the fixture. Do you know when the season um, will officially start? Like, is it going to be like late February? Because we've got that, you know, that magic round. Yeah. Um, also... Second question, um, do you know when that, that new um, grandstand will be uh, finished at Geelong? Uh, I'm thinking, I don't know for a fact, but for some reason I've got round five in my mind, but that might be incorrect, so don't quote me on that. Um, and I think the fixture, will st- the season will probably start a week earlier, given that there's going to be an extra week with the magic round. Now, it might even start two weeks earlier and pre-season uh, condensed even more because they might, because of the buy system, might even throw an extra week in there as well. So I'm not sure how they're going to work the magic round, but at the moment it, it will at least start a week earlier, Rob, and there'll be one week less in the pre-season comp, which might be a good thing. Oh, that, that's awesome. I know we shouldn't um, wish our life away, but I just can't wait, you know, to the season start. I know it's just finished, <laughs> but I, I just can't wait. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it already, Robin. We are a long, long way away. Um, fixture, by the way, I've had another text as well from somebody who won't be named, but I mentioned that it often comes out the week after the Melbourne Cup, so that would make it a fortnight today if that was the case. You know, November 3 is the Thursday after Melbourne Cup. It has come out the day before the Melbourne Cup before, and I think it, there was even a time when it came out uh, the day before Derby Day on the Friday. So, but uh, I've had other people tell me that it won't be coming out until that next week in November. So instead of the third being the tenth, so uh, we'll wait and see. Obviously, there's still a bit of work to do with the Magic Round being the new variable in that, but also some other variables, including whether they open the season with Geelong v Sydney, and whether they opened it at a reduced capacity GMHBA Stadium, the MCG. Or the SCG. Uh, John in Croydon, you've got a question about Richmond. Welcome to you, John. Yeah, Dwayne. Yeah, just curious. Uh, I've, I've seen in the paper the best, supposedly best Richmond side for next year and the interchange, and I've, I've seen the delistings, but Jason Castagna's name's not mentioned at all anywhere. Do you know anything about him? So he's... Well, well the column said he's not in the best 22 so maybe the columnist doesn't think he's in the best 22 
But, but he's not even in the interchange or... Well, he maybe the columnist doesn't think he's in the best 25. Yeah, that's a bit surprising. I know he's not... The, if he could kick straight, he'd be really, in my opinion, he'd be uh, he'd be pretty good player. But I, I, he's just not mentioned at all. Not in the delistings. I'm just curious why. Yeah, okay. I'd have to take that. Your best, do you think he's in your best 25 then, John? Is that what you're saying? Uh well, I'm just uh, puzzled that he's not mentioned at at all. Like, he's not even on the delistings. Yeah, which means that he's not in your best 25 and he's still on your list. Uh, John, I appreciate your call. Kevin Shifter-Sheehan's been good enough to join me to talk a little bit of, well, the draft is looming. We're excited about it. And I want to find out how many key forwards are in it. Kevin Sheehan joins us. Morning to you, Kevin. Great to have you back on. Yeah, Dwayne, look, you're not on my list of tall forwards yourself, uh, Dwayne, but we've got, we've got quite a few there. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm not sure six, their pathways. six one's not tall anymore anyway, Shifter, <laughs> so I wouldn't even... <laughs> you'd, be a, you'd, you'd be the third marking forward. We'd find a spot here, the third, uh, the third tall up there at about the six one mark, maybe, maybe uh, just about a back pocket size, in fact. Uh, <laughs> it's quite amazing, the growth of boys over the years. You know, the average height now is six foot two or 188 across the whole competition uh, and they're playing in the flanks those sorts of boys so uh, yeah they're wonderful athletes these days and uh, I think uh, the uh, the uh, commission promised a spectacular game a number of years back and, and made that our objective and certainly part of that then is to get the best athletes that can really play the game don't ever forget they're going to be able to play the game but uh, yeah they are some spectacular boys that are uh, are on the move and likely to get picked up in November. There's still some, been some small kids get picked up as well, Kevin. So the game has stayed true to what it's always been, and that is size, if you've got the ability, doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's Brent Harvey's own saying, Boomer Harvey. If you're good enough, you're big enough. Don't ever forget that. And he'd given that message to many of the young players in the pathway over the years. And, yeah, and Eddie Betts continues that legacy, isn't it, hey? What a genius he's been as a player. And, uh, uh, and you know, uh, we'll uh, certainly be promoting those smaller players too. There's a boy, but Darcy Jones, that, that is small, that blew away our agility test there at the recent combine, uh, broke a record that Stephen Hill had had for 14 years. And he's only a small player, but he's got electric speed and, and just out of the, the stoppage, just as quick as a flash and dodges around people, takes them on. They're brilliant to watch those players as well. So how tall has do you have to be to be in your tall forward category? You're about to have a chat about well, some key defenders yeah. as well, maybe some taller yeah. guys, key position guys. So what what have you got as yeah. the as the, the measurement? Yeah, as a benchmark, about 192 onwards, you know. So 193 is 6 foot 4, okay? So yeah. that's what we consider uh, tall. And then you're right up to about, I think, big, uh, big Maxi Noble might be about 206. Uh, yeah, then you're talking, you know, uh, you're, you're near six foot nine at, at that. So they're pretty big boys. They still need a bit of beef on them, many of them. Mm. Many of them will take some development for taller players. But, uh, yeah, in the last week, we've released our, our group of the tall forwards and the tall defenders today. Tall forwards about a week ago. So plenty to, 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 to ponder over, you know, have a look at their profiles and encourage the fans to pick those that they think their club should be... Uh, Picking up in November, uh, maybe it's the player that they need. They think the the missing link uh, or missing piece of the puzzle in their uh, 
uh, their dream team to have at their footy club. But, uh, yeah, so we're excited about the tall forwards. A few of them, uh, the ones particularly, I like the ones that have been all Australians during the year and have performed in the four biggest games, and that's like uh, young Aaron Cadman, uh, the, the tall forward that uh, has been touted as a very early pick. The left footer, the Jeremy Cameron lookalike, if you, if you want, mm. to, to visualise the way he plays. But uh, he had a fantastic year. Uh, he would probably head up the, the group of tall forwards. And then a kid called Jed Buzzlinger. That's a great name. Mm. There's never been a Buzzlinger in the game before. I'm sure of that. And uh, <laughs> this boy from WA is, is a star. Intercept marker. A uh, great vice-like grip on the footy. Um, I like it into a bit of a, a Jacob Wietering. Uh, can end up, he'll end up big and strong enough to play on those big forwards. But uh, at the moment, he's an intercept marker, floats across magnificently and, and uh, uses the ball super well on the way out. So there may be a couple of the headline acts amongst the tall forwards and uh, tall defenders. Are they coming back in vogue a little more, Kevin? Or there, there seems to be this thought that we hear, well, the contested mark inside 50, we don't get many of them anymore. So we'd rather take a heap of midfielders but when I look back to last year's draft mm. Sam Darcy was taken pick two as a father son um, and he emerged mm. in year one they don't often emerge so prominently in year one he, he might be a defender he might be a forward but uh, maybe some of these guys that have been taken early in the draft and we know that Sam deconing has been around for a while but um, mm. you know mm. he might emerge as you know a pretty big key forward if not a, a great backman for a long time even though he's only young at the moment. Mm. Are we looking at some of these taller guys who might actually be good quicker than they have been in previous drafts? It's a good question. And, and, and thinking about the answer, so Sam did take, or the most will be like Sam DeConey. They will take a couple of years, so be patient. So it's only the few even. We go back to Buddy Franklin. He took a couple of years. You remember in his first year, they might have been doubting, was that the right choice for Hawthorne? You know, as he as he took took his time. So I think most will take their time. They won't dominate straight away. Um, this taller division. There are some that are ready to run though, um, uh, based on you know I suppose their their you know their, their prowess, their, their uh, physicality, uh, their physique at the minute. There's a kid called Josh uh, Waddell, um, Weddle. Uh, in fact, it'd be the correct pronunciation. A boy that was picked in that All Australian side that that really is physically ready to go, uh, start at the combine. He's a great all-round athlete, this boy that, that um, you know, we saw playing the Nationals in the middle of the year and take all before him. But then to look at him up close and see him uh, so quick with a great tank, agile with a wonderful spring, he looks like he's the shape and type at 192, around the 193 mark that could play pretty much, uh, pretty much physically straight away. But uh, many of the other boys, as I mentioned, big Maxi Noble, a ruckman forward from Gippsland, he's going to take your, your Sam de Conning type three years to, to get through. So it's a mixture of all of those. And uh, uh, that's the beauty of what the clubs are currently doing as they sort through who, who will they invest in on the night as we get uh, a little bit closer to the 28th of November. Are you seeing more tall guys become specialist defenders? There was an era where if you were tall and good, you played forward. And, the, you know, the average tall was always played back. But now we're kind of working into an era where we are seeing a couple of guys enter the draft as specialist key backmen. Yeah, I think the key, the key thing for me with these specialist backmen is they need to be 
quick enough to play on the smart forwards. They need to have some speed. Uh, you can be a really smart, slower forward that reads it so well and gets into great spots. Um, you, you can get away with it, but gee, you just need to be athletic if you're going to be trailing up some of the boys that move around a lot. A Charlie Kerner, a Harry Mackay, these sorts of boys that move around. You're going to have to have a fair degree of athleticism to, to get around with them. Um, we also find that, you know, over the years, uh, the, the eventual spot of many of these players is not set. The clubs get them in, have a closer look at them, work on them for a number of months and say, hang on, he, he might play the other end of the ground. Mm. And so although we promote him as a tall forward, he might end up the, the key defender that the club wanted. You know, that was the story of Roughhead and Franklin in their draft year. They thought they were getting a centre-half back in Ruffy and a centre-half forward in Franklin and end up with two great forwards. So, uh, yeah, it's not, to, it's not defining the, what's said about them on draft night in terms of their future position. I think Cameron Ling was the full forward, wasn't he, back in the day? And, of course, become <laughs> yeah. one of the great run-with midfielders through his particular period, a, a tagger, if you like, but a but more of a run with a bloke that could really uh, had the speed. The endurance is quite surprising uh, as an athlete uh, that was only uncovered once he got into virtually into the Falcons, into the footy club there at Geelong, that, uh, that he had quite an elite tank running ability to play through the midfield and uh, didn't have to be up there using his skills out of the goal square as he was mostly as a junior. Yeah, Ken changed Paddy McCartan, obviously taking pick one as well as a key forward and now has become a pretty good key defender even though He's had a rocky road to get there. Got a couple of guys who might blossom this year, like Riley Philthorpe and Logan McDonald. I hope they do blossom this year. I'm also thinking, Kevin, with the love that Charlie Kernow and a few others are starting to get in the game now, that a few clubs are prepared to say, OK, we're going to actually invest in that key forward because if we can get the next Charlie Kernow, then it does set us up mm. for a long time. If we can get the next Harry Mackay, it's still... I mean, the King boys as well. I mean, if, if Ben Kim comes back, Gold Coast could be a completely different team this year. So uh, are some teams in more of a position to invest in a guy that will be three years than other teams are? They probably are. That's the, that's the beauty of the list analysis as they go through it, fine-tune it all. Look at the mature level. Um, people said Jeremy Cameron, the goal kicker, is probably just what Geelong wanted. They said that two or three years ago, and it turned out to be the case dual best and fairest or equal best and fairest in the premiership year. So goal kickers are priceless, aren't they? Particularly the taller ones. Uh, they're very, very, they're rare as hen's teeth, as they say, too. Mm-hmm. So if you can get hold of one, uh, invest in him, you can sue what they're doing to Carlton. You mentioned those two boys, uh, uh, Big Harry and, of course, Charlie, the, the difference they've made to, to the way you straighten up and go forward and move it quickly. And it's an exciting game when you've got something exciting at the end of it, hey? Uh, mm. fellas like that to do freakish things and uh, Charlie can I still remember watching him in Oakley one day and the, he was playing for the Geelong Falcons and he did he kicked about five or six but some of the goals were from fantastic contested marks floating across the back and then another one from the boundary that was just freakish that he's now doing at AFL level and it was just that moment you said this kid has got he has got freakish talent uh, and whoever gets him down the track is going to get a, a pretty uh, special prospect. So it's taken us a while to, to really see all that come out, but uh, uh, exciting times ahead for the Blues to have uh, those two uh, key forwards in, in their company. And one last loaded question for you, Kevin. Uh, this time last year we were talking about Jason Horn francis I'm sure you're about to tell me you still believe he can be an All-Australian kind of player, even though he's had a rocky first year? Mm. Yeah, I think so. Um, 
not sure what happens behind the scenes with some of these sorts of boys, but his natural talent suggests that he can get there. Uh, I think even Luke Hodge going back to the Hawthorne days too was yeah. uh, not. Uh, you know, he, he did take a little while too, where they queried the number one who had taken him at number one as Chris Judd was up and running a wee bit earlier. You know, but you've got to judge him after four or five years. And, and uh, no, he's got the talent. Uh, and if the application is there as we think it will be, uh, you'll see him emerge as a real star of the game in the next two or three years. So still looking forward to him playing. And how much do recruiters look at the demeanour of a player, Kevin? That sort of the disappointment on their face when they drop a mark, uh, uh, whether they just go for a, a high errant tackle in frustration and give away a free kick, all that kind of stuff. Um, is that now something that recruiters are, are really looking into? It's not just what you do when you've got the ball. It's, it's how you actually act on the field for the whole 100 minutes. I think it's not just act on the field. They, they they watch them even in it, say at the combine and the way they they handle themselves, even if they're injured, the way they support their teammates because they're trying to work out whether uh, uh, you know whether it's thick or thin or whether it's uh, ups or downs. How you're going to conduct yourself in a, in a full-time footy environment because you will have those downs. It'll be tough times. You'll get dropped. You'll you'll be disappointed. You've got to react in a positive way, and so they're watching every move they make, particularly when they're in environments like that, or playing national championships when they might have a quarter or two of their, their beaten. So it's all just part of uh, uh, working out whether they have the necessary makeup and the resilience to actually survive what is a, a pretty tough business. So they watch it all, uh, and there's no doubt even at AFL level, boys will have their moments where they, they are disappointed with the way they come across uh, because they looked as if they were shocking a little bit. So it's so important that you recover from that, learn from it, and uh, you don't continually uh, uh, be a repeat offender in, in showing sort of uh, that disappointment at, uh, at uh, not having success every single time. Kevin, we'll talk to you uh, more often in the lead-up to the draft. Can't wait. Uh, always great to be able to pick your brain. Thanks for your time. Noah Dwayne, all the best. And thanks for having us. Cheers. Kevin Sheehan, AFL Talent Ambassador. And he's here for the McSpicy range at Macca's. Juicy chicken covered in a crispy, mouth-watering, spicy coating. Take a break. Play a little bit of what Ernie Merrick had to say about St Kilda and St Kilda's sacking of Brett Ratton after the break. You with Dwayne's Walk. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Switch to Kogan Mobile for $2.90 for 30 days with 20 gig of data. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. It's one of the worst I've seen. And um, I was part of the review process the day before he was sacked. And I considered the decision was already made. And I was just, you know, ticking a, a box to check on my belief of his performance. The difference is in soccer, when you're sacked from the English Premier League, you walk away with $20 million and yep. six months of salary. So when, In fact, I'd yeah. love to get sacked from an English Premier League club. <laughs> yes, yes. A <laughs> little bit of Ernie Merrick on with Gerard Whiteley earlier today. Ernie Merrick was helping out. He was a mentor, a consultant with Brett Ratton at the St Kilda Football Club last season. He was part of the review that St Kilda did. And he wasn't happy today the way it was all unfolding for Brett Ratton. Wasn't the way he wanted it to unfold. He didn't think he deserved to get the sack. Ernie had a bit more to say. I could play another four minutes of Ernie, but here's a bit on Ratton and uh, the sacking and going in there to essentially tell St Kilda why he needed to keep his job. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it's quite disgraceful, really. It's demeaning. It's it's not called for. It's funny, being in coaching for a while, since the 70s, actually, you, you win a game, you go in the change room, everybody's happy, everyone's supporting you. As soon as you lose a couple of games, no one wants to know you. You don't get the same characters down in support of your of you and and that they're the ones that you can soon tell are ready to jump ship quickly i have to say i was initially very impressed by the board but the board made the decision it's not the ceo that made the decision i assume it all comes down to the board so uh, i found it a very disappointing so the whole behavior and the way things were handled and who handled them is is really very very disappointing you got a thought? One three hundred seven three six seven three six. Ross Lyon hasn't been appointed St Kilda coach yet, but we expect that might be something that'll be announced in a couple of days. It seems like he is the guy that, if he wants the job, is going to get it. But that's from the outside looking in. Ernie Merrick also said something about Brett Ratton's consultative approach. The way he was a relationship guy, he helped work with the players. He wasn't an authoritarian kind of coach. And he did give the indication that that was the kind of coach that Ernie was during his own time as a coach in the A-League and that that kind of coach won't work if that kind of coach is what St Kilda expect to be getting back. I'm not sure Ross Lyon would be that coach if they get him back. That's the way I see Ross Lyon. I don't think he would be the kind of guy that would just say it's my way or the highway. I think he would have evolved. But here's Ernie Merrick on that. I would say he's one of the best coaches that I've ever worked with. And um, he's very modern. He has got great skills in coaching and, and winning respect and and developing players. He's got a thorough knowledge of the game. His expertise is outstanding. And that was evident early on in the season when he had more of a full squad before the injuries occurred. When at halftime, he'd often make key decisions that changed the result. Many times did they go in at halftime behind the opposition, and they came out on top. But you get worn down eventually with your lack of experience in midfield, your injuries to senior players like Ryder, Gresham, Billings, Jack Hayes. He lost his tall players. It just makes life very difficult. I, as I say, first year victory, first half of the season, we were nearly top of the league, I think. We beat the, the ultimate champion, Sydney, 5-0 at home. And then I lost Archie Thompson to PSV Eindhoven. I had two or three injuries. I had inexperienced midfielders that couldn't last the pace over time. And uh, I needed to add three players, which I did with uh, um, Fred. Um, I brought Musket into midfield. I brought in Roddy Vargas. And it made such a difference having a second pre-season under our belt and uh, a bit of longevity with Jeff Lord supporting me. Peter and Elstonwick, as we head to your calls, you got a thought about uh, what St Kilda fans might want in a new coach. Uh, welcome to you, Peter. Thanks, Dwayne. I couldn't believe it when I turned on the SEN website and saw that they had sacked Brett Ratton because he didn't come up to their standard. I thought, where have I heard that before? And I thought, oh, I know. I remember when... when and Kilda decided they couldn't stay at Moravan because it wasn't up to their standard. So we're going down to the back of Frankston and we're going to set up a multi-million dollar facility there 
And that's where we're going to go, and it's going to be fabulous. Once they got there, they decided, oh, no, this isn't good enough for us. We're too far from the coffee shops. So back to Moorabbin we go. Now we find less than 100 days into his new two-year contract, Brett Ratton is not up to our standard, so he's got to go. I just want to know, all this money that they're spending will eventually finish up being paid for by the AFL and, I guess, the richer clubs. What I would like you to do is to do a survey, and this is what I want to say. St Kilda and their supporters deserve each other. And I think that I'll guarantee you I'm not the only one that dismisses the St Kilda people. They are just a rabble. And what they've done to Brett Ratton is unforgivable, Brett. Uh, Dwayne, that's what I want. What do you think? Yeah, Peter, it's it's easy for non-St Kilda people to stick the boots in and say, well, all the other clubs are paying for their mistakes, etc. That's that's an easy one. It wasn't meant to be a forum of kicking St Kilda in the head. It was just meant to be a forum as to whether Ernie Merrick was right or wrong, really off the back of what Ernie Merrick had to say because uh, the kicking in the head of St Kilda uh, we've already done for a week. So I appreciate your call. Um, there have been a few on the text talking about the idea that... Um, uh, maybe maybe they should simply uh, do a whole interview process at St Kilda and, and go through the process with a couple of other people. But it seems like Ross Lyon's the only one being interviewed at the moment. Adam in Orkham Hill, talking to you, Adam. Hi, Dwayne. Uh, yeah, next Monday or Tuesday, it looks like Ross Lyon will be the appointed coach of St Kilda. And that rules out all the other potential names that have been thrown around for, well the last few days anyway and um, and really they haven't got past first base. Ross has got the job I think and will have his second chance to to turn St Kilda around which leads me to the point to my next comment is Ross had a much better list when he was coaching first time around with the likes of Revolt, Lenny Hayes, Braden Goddard uh, and you know there's so many others that uh, constituted them reaching finals, grand finals losing, unfortunately, a few of those grand finals, uh, but getting so close. He's got a major, major, major job. But uh, internally, St Kilda wouldn't call him a rabble. I'd call him a basket case. They are a basket case. I think Jeff Walsh called him irrelevant uh, when he made a comment the other day and so forth. Well, to me, they line up or link up. Uh, They are a basket case. They link up. It starts from scratch. You know, we're at the top of the tree making decisions, those people appointing certain people in roles. They appointed Brett Ratton. They should have seen through that two-year contract when they reappointed him back in July. And they've been looked now clearly by everyone outside of St Kilda. Maybe Saints fans don't want to know this, but your club is a rabble. It is a basket case. Take a look at the people making those decisions. Adam, fair, fair enough you want to kick him in the hair, but I mean, let's face it, let's not I mean, the St Kilda supporters are epic. I mean, they have supported their team through thick and thin. They have been one of the great supporter bases of sport in Australia. So to be you know, tarring them all with the same brush, they're no good, this, that and the other, um, it wasn't meant to be an exercise in people from outside of St Kilda ringing up to um, poke fun and laugh at St Kilda and kick them in the head again. What we really want to do is try and find out as to whether Ernie Medic was right and whether this is going to be a decision 
that is going to come back to haunt them, I suppose. I think you can change it, to be honest. I honestly think if you want to become relevant, maybe that's exactly what needed to do. They needed to make change. Uh, admit your mistake. Sometimes when you make a mistake in management, uh, sometimes the toughest thing to do is actually put your hand up and admit it. So maybe they've admitted it now. We shouldn't have reappointed Brett Ratton, and they can make the change that's going to help them stop being ordinary for the next 20 years. Um, make the change that the dogs decided to make and get good management, get good coaches, change your momentum as a club, win a flag, and the way that people look at the dogs now, having won that flag in 2016, is completely different to the way the dogs were looked at before that. Anyway, thanks for your call. We've got a full ball. We'll come back to you straight after this break for news. Come and see the real thing. Come and see Fred in Caulfield. Welcome to you, Fred. You got a thought on any Merrick's comments? Welcome to you. Hi, Dwayne. Thanks for having me again. I think I have a bit of a unique perspective on this one, Dwayne, because I'm a full-time soccer coach, actually, and I understand Andy Merrick's position. His position at Football Australia is he's basically the head of curriculum. So everything that will be taught uh, to the coaches that coach the kids will go through Ernie Merrick and he's changing the curriculum. So I think he's uniquely positioned to comment on understanding like coaching philosophy and strategy. And I agree with you, there's no point kicking over their kicking them over their head while they're down. But I disagree with your comment that the mistake was reappointing Ratton. The mistake was putting in Hill, Hanabry, Ryder, Howard, that decision to go for it when they were nowhere near it, and that wasn't made by Ratton. So I think that's a little bit off point from you to pin that on Ratton. I think Ratton to have a 50% win-loss no, record with a very... No, I'm not pinning the fault on Ratton. I'm pinning the fault on the club as a whole for making mistakes that are a succession of mistakes as well. I mean, not moving to Seaford was a mistake, uh, in my eyes, um, appointing Brett Ratton for a two-year extension at the time, I think was a mistake. And there's been a lot of list management mistakes, Fred. So there's been multiple people who've made mistakes. It hasn't just been one person. Unfortunately for Brett Ratton, 10th and 10th has been, um, you know, the, the figure, the win-loss ratio that in the end got him, Fred, because it's a win-loss business. And that's what gets coaches in the end, the win-loss. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's fair enough, but I just feel when they appointed him, they needed more clarity around what they were doing and where they were at. And yeah, you're right, it's a multitude of mistakes from a multitude of positions. But I, like I said to you the other day, I think they should have let it unfold a year or two. And then when the players were a bit older, Ratton had four or five years, okay, it's not working. Now let's make some significant change and turnover of the list and coaching staff and let's have a proper go at it. I still think they're stuck in a nexus of mediocrity like Essendon are, because, or Essendon are a little bit better placed with some young talent because they can't fully turn over the list. Yeah, look, the coaching, the, the removal of a coach is an interesting one. I mean, if, if Melbourne, should they have stuck with Mark Neal then? Should they have stuck it out and let Mark Neal have three or four years to develop that list and get his uh, stamp on the game? Well, Melbourne said no. They moved on and decided that they Mark Neal wasn't their guy. Brendan McCartney was the same with the Dogs. He had three years of the dogs. They decided, well, should we give Brendan McCartney four or five? No, they moved on, appointed Luke Beveridge, and he won a flag two years later. In fact, he took them from 14th in 2014 into the finals in 2015 and won a flag in 2016. That was off the back of finishing 15th, 15th and 14th. So sometimes moving the coach on is the right decision. I'm not saying it's right or wrong with this one, but sometimes 
it is the right decision to make a change, especially if you get caught in that rut of mediocrity. And 10th and 10th is a rut of mediocrity, and the Saints have been caught in that rut a few times. Back to your calls after a quick break. You're with Dwayne's World. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Switch to Kogan Mobile for $2.90 for 30 days with 20 gig of data. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Tim in Brisbane, thanks for holding. Tim, welcome to you. G'day, Dwayne. Thanks very much for having me on. Hey, uh, I'm an interstate uh, member and supporter of the Saints, so I only really... I'm an, I'm an outside observer, only watching the games on, on TV. Um, so, um, and obviously get some information from the club, you know, videos and things that the club takes. Um, I feel like the last few coaches we've had have been great people, um, people person. They, they, they connect well with the players. They've done great with personal development and growth and things like that. But I'd really love to see in a coach, someone that's it's really, um, really passionate and animated and, and quite a game day uh, coach. You look at the top coaches, at the moment, like your um, your Scots, um, uh, your Longmire, your Chris Fagan, they 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 get right into it on game day. And as a supporter, when you see the coach so heavily invested in in every little single moment, um, whether that's you know throwing their hands up at you know something that's gone wrong or cheering on when something goes right, I just feel with um, the last few coaches we've had, we've not had that real passionate game day attitude where they are, are, are just as, um, I suppose, a bit of action, a bit of, bit of um, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes aggression if needed. And then, and then, you know, during the week when they're coaching, yeah, you know, and training and things like that, that's when you build up the rapport and, and all that kind of stuff. So, anyway, that's just my opinion from the outside. I'd like to see a bit of passion in the coach on game day. Yeah, Tim, uh, appreciate your call. There's, a lot of, there's been a lot of criticism of Chris Scott getting animated and carrying on in the box and thumping things and jumping up and down. But he's a premiership coach. Uh, Chris Fagan gets very animated on the bench and there's been criticism. Oh, he loses his focus and the players are going to feed off his uh, anxiety. But uh, they've been in the premiership window for a while now and they're in the premiership window still. So, yeah, if you do it um, and you don't win a flag, you're wrong for doing it. And if you don't do it and you don't win a flag, well, hey, about showing some more passion if you can, please. So, yeah, until you actually get success with your method, your method gets questioned. Uh, Bryce McGain, before we get back to your calls, has been good enough to join us, SEN Cricket commentator. It's on again at GMHBA Stadium today, and he's been good enough to join us in the bright sunshine, albeit a little windy today in at the Cattery. Welcome to you, Bryce. It's absolutely superb down here, Dwayne. I can't complain one little bit, and uh, another exciting doubleheader down here at Cadinia Park Stadium. And Saranka fans are in early? They are. They're on their way in, and uh, this will potentially could be the last time you see Sri Lanka. So it's not the one to sort of go, oh, we'll wait till we see them later on. Sri Lanka has to win this fixture against the Netherlands this afternoon. The game starts at 3 o'clock. It'll be on SEN Fanatic, and uh, they have to win it to progress into the next stage of the World Cup. So it's a do-or-die for them. The Netherlands in this group are sitting pretty there. They've won both their games thus far. But in an ironic twist here, if Namibia win later on today, the Netherlands could and, and the Netherlands lose to Sri Lanka, they may find their way out of the uh, the next phase of the tournament. So it, it is still all on. The games are absolutely live down here. And Namibia is the favourite to beat the UAE later today. Yeah, they are indeed. Namibia have been quite impressive in actual fact. I, I really like their, their victory, of course, over Sri Lanka on Sunday. 
And uh, the Netherlands uh, restricted them so well. The Netherlands bowling's been amazing. They've, they've kept both the UAE and also Namibia down to really low scores, which they've been able to chase in the last over. So they've held their nerve, the Netherlands. That's how they've got over the line. But Namibia have really stood out and they gave a good shake to Sri Lanka. So I would expect them to be well on top of the UAE. Although the highlights we saw on Tuesday from the UAE was absolutely unbelievable. We saw hat-tricks to league spinners. We saw sixes going out of the stadium. We saw catches that you'd only see at the absolute pinnacle of uh, world cricket. And uh, they've set a highlights package that you'd probably be staggered to see. And they ended up losing by about 80 runs. So um, it was quite amazing. But UAE... They'll, they'll bring their absolute best. They're a passionate group, but I would expect Namibia to get over the top of them. And these pre-main part of the tournament games have been fantastic, haven't they? It's been a godsend to have them. Oh, it's been an absolute superb lead-in when the big boys will start flexing on the weekend. That'll, that'll happen. But it's been terrific to see these other nations uh, and to see a couple of teams in there, the West Indies haven't had it all their own way in, in Hobart as well through their qualifying group. And Sri Lanka certainly haven't had it their way um, here at Cadenia Park in, in the Group A stages. So, But it's good to see the next generation and inspires the, the, the next group of players. But it goes to show that cricket is on the improve right across. And these teams aren't too far away, the associate nation. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great to have this kind of um, quality of contest in the lead-up to what's going to be an epic weekend as well. Hey, uh, great to have you on. I really appreciate you joining us. Have you heard whether they're going to replace... What is the replacement player for Josh Inglis going to be? Do you think they'll go with Cam Green or specialist keeper? Well, I think they, they might go with Cam Green. He's the form player in all the T20 games leading up. So I think they will. And just if the if something happens to Matthew Wade wicket-keeping, then they'll just bring in a, a replacement for him from somewhere around Australia. Uh, that, that's likely to be Alex Carey, that, that particular player. So... Look, we'll see how all that pans out. I haven't got official word, but that'd just be my gut feeling on that one, Brian. Yeah, which will work as long as you don't lose Matthew Wade an hour before the game starts with a hamstring. Yeah, well, then Aaron Finch, who's uh, who's kept in his early days for Victoria as a backup keeper, he might find himself digging into uh, Wadey's kit and putting his gloves and pads on to wicket keep, which will be a funny sight in itself. I don't think he'd be too keen to do it, but whatever they need to do, I'm sure they'll, they'll get by. Hey, Bryce, uh, great to have you on. I better let you get back to prepping for the commentary. Two big games this afternoon. Bryce McGain joining us for the McSpicy range at Macca's. Juicy chicken covered in a crispy mouth, wateringly spicy coating for a McCafe coffee catch-up. Back with more of your calls. Plenty still to come. John Aloisi also to join us after the 2 o'clock news. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Switch to Kogan Mobile for $2.90 for 30 days with 20 gig of data. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Still a big hour to come for Dwayne's World. Tony on the road, you've been holding across the news. Appreciate that, Tony. Welcome to you. Dwayne, look, um, just quickly, look, I, I, to the guy that was uh, that uh, listens to St Kilda uh, in the state, Ratton is animated. I think he's he was animated. I've seen it when I, I follow Carlton anyway. And um, there's also uh, how many A grade players have they got? Uh, picks that they've been picked. Uh, players that they've picked in the past recently. Um, the selectors. I mean, they've, they've got to have something to do with too as well. Um, I just think that uh, I think they went a bit harsh. But anyway, that's that's business, I suppose. 
No, the list isn't good. But then again, what can Ross Lyon, if he does get the job, do with that list? Because essentially, he's got the same list minus Paddy Ryder. So in some ways, you could say the list is not as good uh, for Ross Lyon. So you know, I agree. Well, but the, the recruiting, look, it's, it's a hypothetical. But if you had Ross Lyon or if you had appointed Alistair Clarkson, for example, would you be in a chance to get Jordan Dugowie? Um, he has decided not to come to your club. Uh, you, you, you will never know whether this is the right decision until another three years under a new coach, and then you work out, okay, well, yeah, it did work, um, uh, or it didn't work. We've gone backwards since, and here's another coach change that St Kilda made. But when you're stuck in that 10th and 10th rut, do you really want to do it again with exactly the same list, or do you need to reinvent yourself again and sometimes change for the sake of change is the way to go. Appreciate your call, Tony. Peter and Monterney have also been holding for a while. Welcome to you, Peter. Uh, yeah, regarding the draw, you're saying if they have a start a week early next year, yep. that uh, they'll, in Victoria, Melbourne, they'll have an extra day to play because Monday is the Labor weekend. Ah, they'll so it'll, it'll coincide with that. There, if they start a week earlier. So that's what the 13th of March is it, which is also a holiday in Adelaide for Adelaide yeah. Cup Day, isn't it? I don't know what in Adelaide, but in, but in Melbourne it's a Labour weekend. So yeah, okay, so Labour Day. They could, they could have a long weekend of footy with the Monday game. I'm pretty sure the Adelaide Cup is what they call their day off the same day. So. Um, gee, that'd be a blockbuster. You could even play a showdown on the holiday day, Adelaide Cup Day on the Monday. That'd be a ripper. Um, give the showdown a bit of prominence for a Monday afternoon holiday game. It's not a holiday elsewhere in Australia, I understand, just Victoria and South Australia, Peter, which um, would be an interesting thing to do, give South Australia a blockbuster on their Adelaide Cup Day, even though their Cup's being run that day too. Yeah. Appreciate your call. Um, head back to your calls shortly. Uh, by the way, hold the line. If you're still there, we've got something for you. You've got a mystery craft beer bundle thanks to Hairy Dog, the largest range of alcohol online. Delivered, hairydog.com. Appreciate you holding for a while. Give us a call back on 1300 736 736 to pick up that prize if you've already dropped off. John Aloisi has been good enough to join us. A little bit of Australian soccer royalty. And it's great to have him on. You can watch Western United this Friday at Amy Park. Won't you, John? Great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And uh, it is a delight to have you on. I suppose the season starts not what you're after, but um, how do you see it? Is it a marathon and you've still got some teething problems? You'll get it sorted out? Are you, or are you a little worried? No, I'm not worried. Look, obviously, we'd like to start with more points, but, uh, you know, it is a marathon. We know that uh, there's plenty of games left. And, and we're mainly focusing on what uh, we need to do and need, need to improve on as a team. And uh, the performances have been good. Uh, that, that's the most uh, pleasing thing. The performances are there. We're getting punished for some of the individual errors that we're uh, creating for the opposition. And uh, and so that's probably why we haven't got our, our points yet. But uh, we're confident that, you know, if we perform like we have been, that the points will come very soon. Uh, anybody mention that grand final hangover idea to you at all? Or is it too early to be throwing that one up? 
No, oh, that always gets mentioned. I think that got mentioned at <laughs> the beginning of pre-season. But uh, look, there's no hangover. The, the players, uh, you know, they're really focused. They they want to do well. They they're motivated. Uh, they're not complacent at all. So, you know, yeah, again, you know, they would like to start the season with two wins, but it's no time to panic. It's time to stick together and make sure that uh, we work through this, and which I believe we will. MacArthur's uh, a win and a draw. Have you seen their start? Yeah, they're a difficult team to play against. They, uh, they've got some really dangerous players going forward. Uh, they, they catch you, or they try and catch you on the counter-attack because they've they got that pace uh, going forward. They've got uh, Daniel Azani, who we know is a talent. Um, also, Toure, who's very quick uh, out in those wide areas. And up top, they've got Rose, uh, who's also quick, and they work hard for each other. So it will be a difficult test, but... Um, you know, we just have to make sure that we don't uh, leave them too much space that they can catch us on that counter. So how do you let it happen, John, as a coach, when you've got an opposition star, quite often if the star you think is beatable by your defensive structure, you'll just stick with your defensive structure and that's fine, which I understand does happen more often than not in soccer, as opposed to when the opposition player is in that good a form, you do have to adjust your structure to have someone a little bit more designated to keeping an eye on him? Yeah, I, we don't uh, adjust it too much. We still stick with our main principles in, in our defensive structure, but it's more when we've got the ball, we just need to be aware. We can't switch off um, because, you know, sometimes they don't always get back in behind the ball, those players. You know, they will stay in a position in space. So if their team wins the ball, they, they're their first outlet. So we just have to be aware of that and make sure that, um, you know, we're close enough that that, that can't be uh, so simple for them. That, that's the main thing. Look, it's a bit of a, uh, a lottery for them because they don't get men behind the ball. So, you know, it's up to us to punish them for not doing that. And if we don't punish them, we have to be in a position that they don't end up going down their end, other end and creating opportunities. So how's your style? Because we know that everyone loves a scoring style and everyone loves a winner. So given that you won last year, it kind of justifies the style. Yeah, look, we uh, last season was very uh, we were well, we had a great defensive structure. Of course, we, we were hard to break down, we were hard to beat, and and that doesn't change. But we still we felt that there was a lot of improving to do going forward, and um, and we've done that. We, we've improved. We're creating a lot more opportunities and chances for our our players. At the moment, we haven't taken them, but um, you know we want to dominate the uh, the game with and without the ball. So. You know, when we don't have the ball, we want to make sure that we put teams under pressure and they play into our hands. And when we do have the ball, we want to make sure that we shift them, that we can create those openings that we have been. You haven't always had your best team on the park for the first two games either? No, we haven't. We've had a few players out, but um, I still believe the ones that are out there are good enough to, to win the games. And uh, so we don't look at too much the players that we've had missing you know, of course, everyone speaks about uh, Prijevic hasn't started a game for us. Piemonte hasn't been in the squad yet. Um, we also uh, had an injury to Tomoki Imai, our Japanese defender, in the first half of the first game. Um, and then another foreign player that got injured last game, uh, Tongo Dumbia. So, look, it hasn't been great on the injury front, but, uh, you know, it's part of it. Uh, it will happen sometime during the season. It's just happened to us now. But uh, once we get through it, we'll be fine. Where are you on this uh, power, uh, player empowerment, um, authoritarian sliding scale of coaches, John? 
Oh, look, I think there's a balance in everything. I, I still believe that, uh, you know, players want the guidelines and whether that's tactical or, you know, in terms of the way that we conduct ourselves and the, the way that they are, uh, you know, around the football club. Um, so, but then, you know, you also, once they know that, they know the, you know the, where the guidelines are and, you know, they can drive that and drive the values of, of the club. But, um you know, out on the pitch, uh, you know, they're the ones that make the decision, but it's within, you know, what we're trying to do in terms of our team structure. So, yes, you know, the players are the leaders, um, but, you know, they do follow within what we're all about as a club and as, as a, what I am as a coach as well. You haven't had to pull a spray out at all in the first two games, John, and how rare is it in soccer to pull that one out when you need it? Um, it's becoming rarer. Like, I only get angry, I, I suppose, when I, I see if there's, the effort's not there. Um, you know, if someone makes a mistake, you know, if everyone makes mistakes, it's, it's when they're not reacting after they make the mistake or they go hiding or, you know, that they start to play with that fear. I, I don't like that. I want the, the players to, to play, you know, with uh, be brave, uh, want the ball, um, and also give give their all. You know, there's there's one thing that you can always do, and that that is run and fight. And uh, if you can do that, then you know the other things will follow. Because you know that uh, you can't always be at 100%, um, but you can always give 100%. And that's that's what we we ask for the players. And if they don't give that, that's when I get pretty angry at times. Is there is there still that it has to have that element of fear of the coach's wrath if they don't push hard enough at training that you're going to really have a crack at them if they don't rehab, if they don't ice bath, all that kind of stuff that you're going to be, you know, really get at them? Or do you just trust them to to have their own judgment when it comes to their off-field stuff? Uh, you always need to, like, help them understand why they're doing these uh, the off-field stuff, how it will help them as a, as a player and as a team. Um, and, you know, because players, uh, you know, sometimes they forget, they... they they, uh, you know, try and take a shortcut. It's, it's, it's part of human nature sometimes and there's an easy way that, you know, players or, you know, human beings will take that way. So, you know, we have to um, explain to them why, uh, the reason why we do what we do, how. Um, but I don't believe that you have to get angry at them all the time. You just have to talk to them and then, you know, communicate with them. And, uh, and that's something that, you know, we're big on. Um, and, and the players end up driving it themselves in the change room or away because they're together a lot more than what I'm with them. So I don't think there's a fear factor. I think it's more them understanding why we're doing things. Talking to John Aloisi, Western United coach. You can join Western United tomorrow night at Amy Park and cheer them home, hoping for their first win of the season. World Cup not far away, John. Got to ask you a couple of questions on that. How are we going to go? Um, look, we've got nothing to lose. Uh, no one's expecting us to do too much. Uh, you know, if we've got France, Denmark, and Tunisia in our group, and, and look, we all know how good France and Denmark are. France are probably one of the favourites to win the World Cup. So, but the advantage we have is that uh, we're going to Qatar. We know uh, what it's like to play in those air-conditioned stadiums. We know what it's like in the hotels and around the. the you know, the city of Qatar, because we've actually um, been there and played there many a times, whereas, you know, a lot of these other nations, this is the first time they're going there to play a football game. They've only got seven days to prepare. Uh, so I, I think that's an advantage for us. And if we can make the most of it, I, I believe that we could cause an upset or two. And wouldn't that be great if we were able to get through that first group stage? 
Yeah, a whole lot of Australia's going to be riding it. A couple of bigger picture questions quickly, John. How do you like the timing of the season in Australia? Is it in the sweet spot, or do you think an adjustment could still be made to make it better? Oh, look, as a player, a former player, um, I didn't like playing in the summer too long. Yeah. <laughs> it was too hot. Uh, the, the, it actually it kills the actual spectacle a lot as well because, you know, the, the pitches are slower. Um, players, you know, aren't able to run as much. That, so the game becomes a little bit slower. You know, it's not too bad here in Melbourne because, you know, at the moment it's cool enough that you can play and, and the tempo is a lot higher, but... Sometimes when you go up to Brisbane and, uh, you know, even on the Central Coast or in Sydney, it does make make it for a slow game. So if we could go into the cooler months, that would be great for the players in general. And you think that that's something they should consider? Are they seriously considering it? Do you think there's been a lot of people rattle that cage? Yeah, oh, look, I think they should consider it. I, I really do. I, uh, I believe that, um, you know, we have to align not only the A-League with the NPL, which is the lower and uh, grassroots leagues here in Australia, which they play in the winter. It's also, um, you know, aligning ourselves with Asia, and we're part of Asia. You know, the you know, competitions go from uh, February, March until November. So I think that that's the way forward. Will it happen straight away? I don't think it will. I think that uh, we don't want to be, you know, up against the other codes. I think that's what, uh, you know, the, the hierarchy uh, are not wanting because we'll get lost in the media world and, and with our supporters. But, you know, it, it, has, it has to come to a day that we have to get back to playing winter football. And do we think we'll get to a day when you have a promotion relegation system in Australia? Yeah, I think we will. I think that that will happen. It won't be overnight. There will be uh, I, I, there will be a second division coming in in a, in a year or two. Uh, once that comes in, then the clubs will understand what it takes and how, how much money they need to generate and um, to be able to sustain um, you know a second division and then hopefully become you know promotion relegation. I, I think that 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 will be about ten years away, but eventually we will get there. Um, and, and it will be exciting once it does be, uh, happen because, you know, the, the, the exciting games are, are sometimes, you know, they're, they're going for promotion or, or fighting relegation. There's always something on the line. And it does make it for exciting football. John, great to have a chat to you. I really appreciate your time. My show is always better when people like you are prepared to come on and have a chat. So I'm, uh, I'm uh, very grateful for you giving us some time. I appreciate it. No, thanks for having me on, Dwayne. Really appreciate John. it. John Aloisi joining us. Catch the A-League champions, Western United, tomorrow night. Amy Park, they face MacArthur FC. You can also jump on their website and buy membership. Brick Lane Brewing, where lovers and makers of great beers come together. Join the community today. Switch to Kogan Mobile for $2.90 for 30 days with 20 gig of data. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Well, it's lost in the wash time, but we've still got a full board of calls. So I uh, better go to your calls before I entice any more calls for lost in the wash, which, by the way, is brought to us by Identifiber, your specialists in asbestos and hazardous materials assessment. Mick in Berlin, welcome to you, Mick. Thanks for holding for such a long time. That's all right, Dwussell. Anything for you, mate? What do you got for us? Um, I just doesn't kill them, mate. Look, I've, I've got a soft spot for them because my grandfather buried for him, but. I, don't, I, I can't understand how they get things so wrong on and off the field. Like they've got some of the biggest high-profile 
celebrity um, supporters. Like you've got Liz Fox, who's the biggest transport opera, uh, owner. You've got Gadinsky and Meldrum, who got an eye for talent and you know and, and their business ethics. And you've got Eric Benny, you've got Shane Warne, you've got all these people that are all business-minded people, and yet the club can't run a club and also on, on and off the field. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how they get it so yeah. wrong. Well, because running a footy club is a little different to running a business. Uh, we've always said that. I don't think people quite realise how much different it is. So, you know, Brian Cook, he played footy for Melbourne. I mean, he played VFL for Melbourne, Brian Cook. So we talk about how good he was as a CEO. But he actually played the game at the highest level. And people forget that. So sometimes you, it is a unique environment, a footy club. Uh, people like to tell us that footy clubs are a business. It's just that they're in the business of footy. There's an element of truth to that, but um, there are some unique things you've got to get right. And I reckon recruiting is arguably the biggest thing. I mean, coaching, yeah, obviously. Administration, yeah. But, I mean, the bottom line is how good's your list? And if you don't recruit well, you suffer badly, stay down the bottom, and do end up in that sacking a coach circle of life. And that's where a lot of teams have found themselves, stuck in that circle. Uh, Peter and Doreen, welcome to you, Peter. Uh, Dwayne, how are you? Good. Um, I'm a bothered man, and I'm, I'm a little bit excited about next year, but I don't think our forward line's going to be that bad if you consider Stringer had an injury-erupted year. So did um, Harrison Jones. But with Wiedemann, he's only a 24, 25-year-old. He's got a lot of upside. And with Peter Wright forward... And if we can pick up uh, with a fourth draft picker, which will be five after Ashcroft goes, we pick up a pressure for, pressure forward guy that can work, work with Archie Perkins. I reckon our forward line is probably as good as anyone else in the eight. I reckon it's better than Melbourne. If you compare Melbourne, they've really only got Ben Brown and now they've got the Chauble from um, Western Bulldogs. But yeah. really, Melbourne haven't got a forward line. But then you even look at Collingwood. Collingwood have got McStay and Mike Eck, other than Dugowie and probably Elliot and Ginnivan. They're not really you know, a top eight forward line either. Yeah, Peter, I agree with you. The, the bottom line with, with Essendon is the midfield and the defence. And I don't think you've recruited that badly either. People want to have a go at Adrian Dodoro. I think Harry Jones has got a big upside. I think Nick Cox is a wingman or wherever you want to play him, he's got a big upside. Peter Wright's recruitment, he couldn't get a game with the Suns. The Suns did not play him once in his final year there. He's just won your best and fairest. Jake Stringer is that big variable. I mean, if you've got, a, if you've got that breakout one big consistent year out of Jake Stringer, without injury, you are a completely different team. So, yeah, I agree with you on that. The defence needed helping out, um, and obviously that's exactly what they've targeted over the off-season. I don't think you're that bad off either, and I think a new coach could be exactly what the Bombers need as well. Need to take a break for news. Back with more of your calls next year with Dwayne's World. Bit of AFLW to come very shortly, but Mark of the Limestone Coast, another who's been holding for a while. Welcome to you, Mark. G'day, mate. Um, yeah, I read uh, something on social media today, which is a funny little line. They sacked Ratten, but the rats remain. Um, now, on to Ernie Merrick. He's 100% correct. 100%. And what a great interview it was. And uh, you had a caller uh, phone up a Peter who uh, 
who attacked St Kilda and attacked the St Kilda people. Peter was half right. Um, the St Kilda admins are a disgrace and, uh, and really there should be an emergency meeting uh, of members and we should get together and uh, do a Stalin-like cull. Um, but he's wrong about St Kilda people. If you have a look in a lot of the, a lot of the talkbacks places, about 70% are absolutely horrified of what's happened to Brett. Um, Brett was loved by most of us. Uh, 2019, we had 43,000 members. And Brett Ratton came on board. And the next year, we had 48,000, where we won a final, unlike Neil or McCartney, by the way. Um, 2021, we went up to 55,000 members. This is, you know, coming 10th. Yeah. Coming 10th this year, we've got 61,000 members. So on that trajectory, if sacking Brett, if we don't get 66,000 members next year, in my eyes, mathematically, it's a fail for Bassett. Um, I'm not giving Ross Lyon any honeymoon period. Most new coaches get a honeymoon period, but if you're going to sack someone with 10 wins, which, by the way, all the pundits said at the beginning of the year, not one pundit, not one media pundit had us winning, uh, making the finals. No one. You didn't. No one no, picked us to make no. finals. Yeah. Uh, so, so Brett's overachievement in the first half of the year basically cost him his job. Right. Um, yep. so he's going to have. No, I'm not not giving him any honeymoon period. If he doesn't win 13 wins again, it's another fail for Bassett. Um, yeah, so I just I just like your thoughts on that. Uh, well, he'll get he'll get at least a couple of years to get things right. Uh, I think there is a chance you can have a better season than tenth, Mark. But you know, I'm optimistic about the teams that have changed coaches. I'm more optimistic than most about Essendon, and maybe that's to a flaw. I'm more optimistic than most about what can be achieved at St Kilda going forward with Ross Lyon at the helm. But that's maybe a flaw. In me as well. I just, I just believe that Ross Lyon knows footy so well that, uh, and he's going to reinvent himself that it might actually work. But again, um, would I have sacked Brett Ratton? No. But at the same time, the, it's been done, and you've got to get the best guy that's now available. And it seems to me that Ross Lyon is the best guy now available. But who knows? Adam Uzo might be the next genius. Hey, great to have you call, Mark. Need to take a break. Some more AFL, some AFLW coming up next. Welcome back to the program. Always great to have so many of your calls and your texts coming through. We'll head back to your calls and texts very shortly. But love having a chat to the AFLW rising star each week. And we've been lucky enough to have a couple again this week. Steph Wales chatting to us. Essendon star on the rise. Welcome to you, Steph. Great to have you on. Hello, thanks for having me. It is nice to have you. Uh, and uh, how's the season been so far? It's been a little tough for the Bombers, but you're still within touching distance of the eight, even though, even though it's probably going to be a stretch to make it. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's definitely been a good first season. Um, haven't probably got as many wins as we would have liked, but yeah, definitely just improving each week and really happy with the progress of the team. And nice to get a win to break that losing streak on the weekend. Yeah, definitely. I think we forgot how to win for a bit. So, yeah, it's good to get one on the board and hopefully we can continue it this weekend, round 10. You had a choice of sports. Uh, has football lived up to your expectation? Oh, 100%. Yeah, had to choose a bit between basketball and footy, but, yeah, very happy with my choice. Um, it's going well. So why did you make that choice of football over basketball? I think it was just the opportunity for footy was so much bigger than basketball. Um, obviously, women's footy is still growing. Um, 
every year. So I definitely wanted to be a part of it. Um, and the opportunity there was just so much bigger than what basketball can offer. So, yeah, very happy with my decision. And if there was still just a VFL or a local competition and the AFL didn't have an 18-team comp, essentially you'd still be playing basketball now? Yeah, probably. Um, I'd be trying to juggle both, definitely. Um, still, obviously, always wanted to play footy alongside basketball. Um, so, yeah, I'd just be doing both. And you had 21 hit-outs, seven tackles. Uh, it was a tight win over Sydney. And uh, you, you're one of the taller girls in the competition. Uh, how are you enjoying uh, young and tall? So everyone's expecting you to use your body, but there's some bigger bodies out there. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think just working on that at training each week, trying to get a bit stronger and just, yeah, work on my craft so that I can take on bigger bodies and stuff. So, yeah, obviously it helps being tall, but, yeah, I've still got to take on bigger bodies. So I'm hoping to keep working on that over, yeah, the off-season and hopefully into the next couple of seasons. And you played against your twin sister, Lucy? Yeah, round one. Yeah, that was a pretty special night. Um, Both got to debut against each other. Definitely something I'll never forget. Um, And even better that we got the win, so. (laughs) And are you identical twins at all? Yeah, we're identical. We look pretty much the same. (laughs) So if in time, if she makes the finals and gets injured, would you be able to step in, do you think? (laughs) Yeah, if no one noticed, could definitely give it a shot, but nah. (laughs) I, I guess there are a few similarities, but, um, I mean, a few differences, but, yeah, we do look pretty similar. Great to have a chat to you. Congratulations on your nomination, Steph, and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you so much for having me. See you later. Essendon AFLW rising star, Steph Wales. Hill. Hand passes it off to oh. Evans. What an incredible strike of the footy. Bang! And now to Hicks. Kick smothered. Desperate stuff from the Hawks defence. But it spills to Evans. That beautiful left foot kick is found. And target in the square. Got it. Bangs at home and scores a level again. Tony Evans from the Giants. This week's co-rising star after a spectacular AFLW weekend. It's been good enough to join us for a chat. Tani, welcome to the program. Great to have you on. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty exciting season that's unfolding. I know that the Giants have sort of slipped down the ladder a little lower than you would like them to be, but uh, it's still been uh, sort of a lot of uh, ground gained this season, especially by young players like yourself. Yeah, no, it's been a good, good, um, good developing season, I think, for us. It's been... A lot of fun, and, and the girls are great, and the new coaching staff's unreal, and the game plan, we're all loving it. So it's been a pretty good season. How tough has it been? Because there's some pretty good teams in the comp at the moment. Yeah, there are. There's some very elite teams in the comp at the moment. But, um, yeah, we're developing, we're getting there, but, um, yeah, they're the ones you look up to is the Adelaide's and the Brisbane's that are absolutely tearing up. So we'll be there soon, but... Um, yeah, we're just looking after it and developing it at the moment, which is cool. 12 possessions and a goal for you against Hawthorne. Has there been a noticeable difference between the new teams in the comp this year and those that have been around for a while? Um, yeah, I think it's been a pretty... Uh, yeah, definitely. There's definitely um, the very developed squads of Adelaide and Brisbane. Um, yeah, Carl, Collingwood, Carlton. Like, I think there's definitely some developed squads 
and the expansion clubs have come in and that was always going to be a challenge. But, um, uh, yeah, they're doing, everyone's doing pretty well and I think the expansion's been awesome and um, the expansion clubs have dealt with it really well. So it'll just be the next few years that are coming that we'll develop the comp all together and the juniors that are coming through. So, that's no, it's been pretty cool. And how have you been as a as a teenager up against some fairly mature, strong senior bodies? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I flicked around a little bit, but that's all right. No, it's been um, been heaps of fun learning off them. I think there's so many experienced players in this comp at the moment um, to learn off and to strive to be like. So um, it's been cool to look up to those people and uh, play against a few of them and play with them. So yeah, no, I'm pretty stoked for that. You're from New South Wales, but you've always you've you've wanted to play football for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, from Tartra, little town in Tartra, but yeah, wanted me to play footy since I was pretty little. So, what made you get drawn to football? Because I presume you had other sports as options as well. Yeah, um, I played um, athletics when I was younger and touch footy, soccer, whatever. Got me out of school as a little as a young girl, <laughs> but hmm. no, nah, I loved it. Um, loved playing around different sports when I was younger, and I think the um, contact of footy um, going from an individual sport was pretty exciting, and it was such a new um, new look on it, and it's so such an athletic game. So I no, I love it. Um, and my brother played a little bit of it, and I watched him um, growing up. So yeah, no, I've definitely been influenced. By him a bit and by the game in general. Tony, great to have you on the program. Congratulations for your nomination as a co-rising star from the weekend of footy. We'll talk soon. Great. Thanks, mate. Tony Evans from the Giants. Welcome back to the program. Love having a chat to Lou Martin, General Manager of Corporate Affairs and Strategic Communications at Greyhound Racing Victoria. It's a long title, but uh, it's great to have Lou on. She loves her greyhounds, always has loved her greyhounds, and it's good to talk greyhounds this time every week, especially given the week that they've had. Firstly, welcome to you, Lou. Monday, big day for the sport with that big announcement. Yeah, thanks, Wayne. I'm I'm going to change my title because it takes up too much time. It's a little bit silly. We had a great day on Monday, so we launched the Dream Chasers Festival. So that's all about chasing the ultimate racing dream and winning feature races at the most lucrative and, and iconic time of the year for Greyhound Racing in Victoria. So Dream Chasers uh, is a $4.1 million in prize money festival. So we have two $1 million races, Sports Bet Melbourne Cup on November the 26th and Sandown Park, which is where it's all going to be at. And then on the final of the festival, which is a $1.65 million, is the Phoenix at the Meadows on December the 17th. So just before Christmas, you can pick up some good cash. And uh, it's five spectacular Saturday nights starting on November the 5th and going through December the 17th. So really, tickets are going out the door pretty quick, Dwayne. We'll keep one aside for you, though. Um, <laughs> and they're on sale now at dreamchasersfestival.com.au. And uh, as I said, like the option starts in $45, so we're not... You know, that's not too much, and uh, it's going to be great. I'm absolutely blown away about how it's all started and um, can't wait, just can't wait. So Dream Chasers Festival, all the one word, .com.au. Great value add as well, not just about the Greyhound Racing, but the atmosphere, uh, hospitality options and entertainment's fantastic. Very affordable, very accessible, um, and you're sort of revolutionising Greyhound Racing in a way, making it a, a, a greater experience for all ages than 
you've ever had before, even if you've been to the Greyhound Racing before, Lou, this is a little bit different. Yeah, I like just going along to any Greyhound race because I love, I just love it anyhow. But this is like spectacular. This is, as our chair has been known to say, it'll it's off its chops. So I'll pinch her saying today, and uh, yeah, it's going to be amazing. So the Great Chase Community Series at the Meadows um, sort of it concluded yesterday. I think it's the 20th year of the event, Lou. So it's been a pretty big one for you for a long time. Yeah, Dwayne, 750000 we've given back to the community, and rightly so, and to the disability groups over the last 20 years. And it's my favourite uh, thing I do all year. We had 25 organisations at the Meadows yesterday, so thank you very much to the Meadows. Um, and we had a great lunch there. Uh, and there's a bit of dancing and singing, no photos to be seen. Um, the support people from um, Bendigo and Ballarat actually took out the $10,000 for the final with all spritzed up, which is um, Anthony as a party dog, and he and his lovely daughter were there um, presenting the checks, which we did, and um, seven other organisations took home $3,000. So, look, it's a great day out, and, and I was there the whole time, and we were talking amongst the the beautiful carers who are there and the work they do, Dwayne, I mean, honestly, we, what we do is nothing compared to what they do. So uh, I just love the day and um, thank you guys for your support for these charities as well. So, yeah, now that's we concluded yesterday and we'll do it again next year. Yeah, it's great, Lou. Greyhound Racing Victoria doing some amazing work to help the community give back to those in need and uh, it is a fantastic thing that Greyhound Racing Victoria has done for a long period of time now, so if you can support in any way, make sure you do. Lou, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Dwayne. Thank you. Lou Martin from Greyhound Racing Victoria. That's it for me today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have your company. You can listen back to the show if you missed it on the podcast, the Dwayne's World podcast, or any of the interviews we've done today or this week. It's all there on the podcast. Uh, thanks to A-Rod, thanks to Benny Lyon for putting the show again together today. Midday Madness back tomorrow though. Friday edition of Midday Madness. Love your company tomorrow. Put that number in your phone. one 736 736 That open line number. Anything in the world of sport that moves you enough in the next 24 hours. Make sure you give us a call tomorrow for Midday Madness. Dwayne's World for Kogan Mobile. Make the call. Switch to Kogan Mobile and for Brick Lane Brewing for lovers and makers of great beer. Campbell Brown's going to be on the program tomorrow as well. Hopefully finding a winner for us what's going to be a, a huge Cox Plate weekend of racing. He's dual winner to Campbell Brown, so we'll put some pressure on him tomorrow. Stick around, though. Andy and Gazy looking forward to your company next. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.